Scott with SJ, Wildfire.com. Hey, I'm pleased to announce Pastor Larry. We've talked a little bit about Pastor Larry and his Bible study. He's been studying Ephesians 6 for the last three to four years. He's been diving deep into spiritual warfare. And what was interesting is during his study over the last three, four years, he actually had a demonic encounter that he had to rebuke in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is a man's man. Pastor Larry fought two years in Vietnam uh, with the Marines, saw a bunch of action. Then he became a pastor from there later in life. He ended up becoming a school teacher, very hardworking man, owned his own paint company, uh, multiple blue collar, white collar jobs. The man has life experiences. He's a cool dude, man's man, fun to be around, and he loves the Lord. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Larry once again. Thank you for uh, tuning in. Thank you for listening. We've been talking about spiritual warfare and talking about it's a real thing that's happening. It's what's going on behind the scenes in the physical world. That we have an unseen enemy that we are fighting. And if you want to talk about conspiracy, this is the greatest conspiracy since the beginning of man. Ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, Satan's making the attempt to draw men away from the truth, away from God, our Creator, and away from the believer serving Him. And it is real. It's not a conspiracy as we think of conspiracies. Conspiracies ring as a untruth to me. But it is a conspiracy in the sense that it keeps us from the truth. I know that you want to know the truth. And I want to know the truth. We want people to, people to speak truth to us. And not lies. And I emphasize the fact of how we battle this spiritual warfare is not with fleshly or carnal weapons. You can't battle the spiritual world in your own flesh. They just don't respond to that. They laugh at you. We need the weapons of our Creator, the weapons that God has provided for us. We talked about what that major foundation is and what that major weapon is at first. And it's the foundation. Without this, you cannot do battle with the spiritual world. You cannot know God. You cannot know what God is like. You cannot know what God has done without the scriptures, without the word of God. The Bible itself makes the claim in Old Testament, thus saith the Lord over 400 times, and the New Testament. When Jesus spoke, he spoke of the Old Testament, the Psalms, and the Prophets. 
and the law as being the spoken word of God. And I don't believe that Jesus lied to us. I mean, what's his end game? If he lied, he died for it. His apostles died for it. If the apostles knew that it was just a fantasy or just a make-up thing, if they, if they knew that Jesus did not rise from the dead, why would they preach it as truth and give their lives for that truth? I mean, people can be deceived and give their life, but the apostles weren't deceived. They saw him, they touched him. They walked with him for 40 days before he ascended back into heaven, verifying that what Jesus said is truth. They could have easily just said, even standing before the Sanhedrin or the Jewish council, they could have said, oh, we're just, we're just kidding. They could have gotten off the hook. Stephen could have done that, who was the first martyr in the Christian church, but he did not. He was stoned to death. He testified to the fact that Christ has risen from the dead. And for the Christian, and I would think that most of you listening are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've given your life to him, and that's what God requires. God has made all things to work through Christ, and without him, you cannot come to the Father. You must go through Jesus Christ. And I've emphasized this before, and I will be doing this over and over, where Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no man will come to the Father but through me. So what Jesus said is truth. It doesn't matter just that you worship in some religion, you have to have the truth. There's truth in, in uh, religion, just like there's truth in everything else. And Jesus says that he is the way and he is the truth. And how do we know God? Well, we can know about God through creation. We can look out into his wonderful creation and say to ourselves and look into the starry sky and look into nature itself and say there must be a God. And the Bible says that he does, that does not say that when he looks into nature is a fool. And I don't want to be a fool. I would say, and we can look at evidence, evidences to the fact that uh, there is a creator and there is a creation. All of these diversities of life and such things did not happen just by chance. That's being foolish. But let's get back to the point. What Jesus said is truth, and without the scriptures, is it scriptures is God revelation to man. Why would God leave us in the dark about Truth. He wants us to know the truth. How can he best communicate with man since he is holy and totally separated from us as finite, sinful human beings? How can he communicate with us? Ah, he had a plan from before the foundation of the world, and that was to provide his son 
part of that holy trinity to come to earth in the flesh of a man. And it takes a man to talk to a man. It takes a person to talk to a person. So God came in the flesh, took on a human body. There's many points we can discuss why he did this. But it suffices us just to know that God wanted to communicate with us and let, we, let us know the way to him, the way to the Father, the way to have eternal life, the way to have a blessed life. Because our sin has separated us from God. And that happened at the fall and it continues today because we voluntarily sin. We can't help ourselves. We're born to sin. We're born in sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Jesus came to restore us back to this original position that Adam had with his, with his father, that he walked with God in the cool of the evening in the garden. And God wants us to bring it to that point where we can walk daily with him on this earth. And when we die, and let's face it, we're all going to die, that when we die, we can forever be in fellowship and walking with God the Father, Jesus Christ, and His Holy Spirit. And how does God communicate today? Only through nature? That's Romans chapter 1. No. But He spoke to us, as it says in the book of Hebrews, He's in these last days has spoken us, spoken to us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Hebrews chapter 1. I know there's skeptics out there that doubt the Word of God, but have you ever investigated the veracity of the Scriptures themselves? I would give... Uh, I had a, a, a good friend, an older gentleman, that would say... Tell me, well, just give me some proofs. Give me some proofs that the Bible is the Word of God. So I gave him a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict from Josh McDowell. And after a couple weeks, I asked him if he looked at it, did he read it? And he says, oh, I picked it up and read a couple of pages. And he says, ah, but it's just biased. And you know, it's not biased. It just offers historical evidence. And that's how you have to examine Scripture. You can't put it in a test tube. You have to go by historical written evidence. And he just laid it aside and gave it back to me. So what he was telling me is that, not that I can't believe it, I won't believe it. It's a matter of the will. It's a matter of choice. I believe that anybody who takes the time and sincerely wants to seek the truth of the scriptures and find it. And I believe that God will reveal it to him. In fact, the man who wrote the book, Josh McDowell, in his doctrinal thesis, he was a skeptic of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And upon his examination of the evidence, he became a believer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To him, the evidence was overwhelming. 
if the Bible was the Word of God. The Bible is a very unique book. And what I mean by uniqueness is what how um, Webster defined uniqueness. Here's how Webster defined uniqueness. He said, the definition for unique is, number one, one and only, single, soul, different from all others, having no like or no equal. Professor Montero Williams, he's a Bowdoin professor of Sanskrit, spent 42 years studying Eastern books and said in comparing them with the Bible, here's what he says, quote, Pile them, if you will, on the left side of your study table, but place your own Holy Bible on the right side, all by itself, all alone, and with a wide gap between them, for there is a gulf between it and the so-called sacred books of the East, which severs the one from the other, utterly, hopelessly, and forever, a veritable gulf which cannot be bridged over by any science or religious thought. The Bible is unique. It is a book different from all others in some of the following ways. The Bible is written over 1,500-year span. What book can you say was written over 1,500 years span? It was written over 40 generations, written by 40 authors, and they came from all walks of life. Kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, scholars, and the list goes on. Been written in different places. It is written in the wilderness, written by Jeremiah in a dungeon, Daniel on a hillside and in a palace, Paul, who is inside prison walls, Luke while traveling, John on the Isla of Patmos, and others in the rigors of a military campaign. They're written during the times of war and peace. Some, some of it was writ written from the heights of joy and others from the depths of sorrow and despair. Written on three continents, Asia, A, excuse me, Asia, Africa, and Europe written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and the Greek, which is the New Testament. And it's taken on a subject matter, which includes hundreds of controversial subjects. One, the controversial subject, by the way, is one, one which would create opposing opinions when mentioned or discussed. Biblical authors spoke on hundreds of these with harmony and continuity from Genesis to Revelation. But there is only one unfolding story throughout all of these 66 books of the Scripture, and that's God's redemption of mankind. And that's the whole th underlying theme of the Scriptures. Let me quote from F.F. Bruce, a very intelligent biblical scholar. He says, quote, The Bible at first sight appears to be a collection of literature, mainly Jewish, 
if we inquire into the circumstances un under which the various biblical documents were written, we find that they were written at interval intervals over a space of nearly 1,400 years. The writers wrote in various lands, from Italy to in the west to Mesopotamia and possibly Persia in the east. The writers themselves were, were a heterogeneous number of people, not only separated from each other by hundreds of years and hundreds of miles, but belonging to the most diverse walks of life. In the ranks, we have kings, herdsmen, soldiers, legislators, fishermen, statesmen, priests, prophets, a tent-making rabbi, a Gentile physician, not to speak of others whom we know nothing apart from the writings they have left us. The writings themselves belong to a great variety of literary types. They include history, law, civil, criminal, ethical, ritual, and sanitary laws, religious poetry, didactic treatises, lyric poetry, parable and allegory, biographies, personal correspondence, personal memoirs, and diaries. In addition to the distinctly biblical types of prophecy, and I want to get to that in a minute, and apocalyptic. And he says, for all that, the Bible is not simply an anthology. There is a unity which binds the whole together. An anthology is compiled by an anthologist, but no anthologist compile the Bible. And Bruce also talks of a man who knocked on his door, who was a representative of the great books of the Western world. He said, he came to my house recruiting salesmen for their series of the great Western books. He spread out the chart of the great Western book series. He spent five minutes talking to us about the great books. And we spent an hour and a half talking to him about the greatest books, the Bible. I challenged him to take just 10 authors, all from one walk of life, just one generation, one place, one time, one mood, one continent, one language, and just one controversial subject. The Bible, by the way, speaks on hundreds with harmony and agreement. Then I asked him, would they, the authors, agree? He paused and then replied, no. What you would have, I retorted, immediately said a conglomeration. Two days later, he committed his life to Christ, which is the theme of the Bible. Why all this and why am I reading this? Very simple. Any person who sincerely seeks truth would at least consider a book with the above unique qualifications. So what are some of those qualifications? Well, let me just say a, a few. One is it's survival. And it's a survival through time. It says being written on material that perishes, which is papyrus at the time, having to be copied and recopied for hundreds of years before the invention of the printing press, did, did not diminish its style, correctness, or existence. The Bible, compared with other ancient writings, has more manuscript evidence than any ten pieces of classical literature combined. We will, uh, since I think this is so significant for the skeptics, 
and I'll give you the reference where you can find all this. I'd like to continue in our next lesson. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next.